Hi everyone, this is Jules, your host of the All Things Ison podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. I am beyond excited to share with you the interview that I did with Chris Burkhard, who is an award-winning photographer, filmmaker, adventurer, and just all-around awesome human being. He was so kind to find some time in his schedule to speak with me in late January of 2021. And funny enough, he is in Iceland right now. So in the interview, you hear him talk about the fact that he was planning on this trip in April and hopefully it would all come together. So he's on an adventure cycling from Akureyri to Vik on a bike with fat tires, him and a couple of other people. But there are many other things that we talk about in this interview that are just fascinating, including some films that he's done here, such as Under an Arctic Sky, which is about surfing in the winter under the northern lights, and also A Line in the Sand, which he did last summer, in which him and other bikers cycled from the easternmost point of Iceland to the westernmost point of Iceland. And he's been to Iceland many, many times. He loves this country. And it really comes through, in my opinion, when talking to him. And I... And it was a video interview, so if you want to check out the video of it, you can see that in the show notes at allthingsiceland.com forward slash Chris Burkhard Iceland, just because I had such a fun time just like seeing his expressions and like I mentioned, him lighting up whenever he talks about the country. It was a blast to talk with him. And also, I just kind of learned a lot about Iceland through his perspective. And I think you will as well. I mean, someone like him who does have a lot of influence, it's kind of interesting to see how his experiences in Iceland have evolved over the years, over the many times that he's been here. I just appreciate kind of hearing these many different perspectives from the variety of people that I have the honor of interviewing. And hopefully you were enjoying that too. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please make sure to give it a good rating and leave a written review on any platform that you're on that allows for reviews just so it helps other people who are interested in Iceland be able to find this podcast and learn more through these interviews and solo episodes that I do regarding the country. Lastly, before I jump into the interview, I'd like to give shout outs to Oliver, Julia, Paul, Noah, Betty, Mark, and Danielle. They are all members of the Ausgardur tier in the All Things Iceland Patreon community. And with that, and the members of that tier get shout outs in the podcast every month. They also get a special gift from me every year, as well as access to live chats and other benefits like Folklore Friday, which every tier in the All Things Ice Patreon membership gets access to, amongst other things. And if that's of interest to you to get additional content and to support All Things Iceland, feel free to check out the link in the show notes about how to join the community and be able to interact more directly with me. All right, let's jump into the interview. Chris, thank you hey, so hey. much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's, um, My pleasure. it's finally raining here in California, so it it's reminding me a little bit of Iceland. That's for yeah. Sure. Maybe we sent you some because we have. <laughs> oh my gosh! I'll take it. I'll take any of it. It's 
feels like a desert here. I mean, at this point, normally in the year, I would have been to Iceland once or twice already. So I'm, I'm, I miss it deeply. And uh, yeah. it's good to chat even if just, you know, on a podcast about such an amazing place. Yeah. And you've had some incredible adventures here and probably not yeah, all of them sure documented. <laughs> so. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, <laughs> some of them have been kind of, it's funny because some of them have been really like internal suffer fests and some of them have been, you know, films and, and or yeah. book projects, um, personal projects. And then, you know, even down to like the random, like Justin Bieber music video or something like that. So were you yeah, involved with been, that? Yeah. Yeah. I actually what? guided Justin, I guided uh, Justin for, um, like a week or so out there. And, um, oh. and it was, it was honestly such a random thing because I was sitting in bed, sitting in bed, like, and I, I've been to Iceland many times, you know, people kind of knew that it was a place that I had like, I knew really well and, and had guided quite a bit. And so I was yeah. sitting in bed and I got like this direct message and it was like, Hey, so-and-so me and, you know, Beaver are going to go to Iceland and we'd love for you to join us. And I'm like, yeah, right. Whatever. Like, and then my <laughs> wife was like, you should probably answer that because maybe, <laughs> You know, and, and then like an hour later, I was like driving frantically to the airport to what? catch a flight to go there and then met up with them. And it was it was rad. It was really cool. I mean, you you know, there's something special about the fact that Icelanders um, tend to like really respect privacy and like really mm-hmm. allow people just to like experience the country in that way. And that was really special, I think, for somebody like that, you know, yeah. to who who's craving an experience that isn't like where they're not just constantly being like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, grabbed after everything. So I don't know. I thought it was rad. I've always loved that about it. Yeah, I agree. There is this kind of like, they see a celebrity and there's just kind yeah. of like, you know, from afar, you like, you recognize them, but they're also playing it pretty yeah. cool. Right. So they're just like, I'm not going to, yeah. I'm just going to pretend like I don't even know who that is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. And you mentioned you've been to Iceland many times. I read it was, it's over 40 times at this point. Yeah. It's like 43 times. And, Again, like some of those trips were just like I came and I did a speaking event, mm. you know, for the for the, um, on behalf of the government, and then I, I would leave, you know, and then some okay. of them were long, like two three week trips. Some of them have been like you know almost a month long, but yeah, I have a I have a little um, I share an apartment in Reykjavik and nice. have a vehicle over there, and it's weird. It's like now that you know I can't travel over there, I just feel like a part of me feels like removed. You know, I yeah. I truly like there's nights where I just like stay up at night like missing it i miss the people and i miss the culture and i miss the food and the bread and everything yeah i was gonna ask you what is your do you have so what is your favorite cuisine here like do you have something very specific what's so weird is like i remember i'm sure you know you've been there many times and and or have lived there for a while too so you've seen the cuisine change like you've seen it evolve right and the very first time that i went which was like 2006 or so um I remember being like kind of blown away because there wasn't much food options. Like, they, and I and I, I know that Icelanders have they have good food. They've always had good food, but they weren't really celebrating it much. Mm. And nowadays, it's like more it's more celebrated, right? So, in some yeah. way, it was funny because like on that first trip, I remember going down to downtown Reykjavik, and you know we're looking for food, and it's like there's like a shawarma stand, and like that was pretty much it, you know. And um, <laughs> so, but now um, I I love the fact that you can go and get like you know, salmon pizza, or you can go and get mm-hmm. like, you know, um, you know, the, the bread is, I think amazing. Like I love yeah. the, I love like the really dense rye bread that's like yeah. cooked, you know, and it's almost like a cake and you slather some schmiota on that, some yeah. butter and a little bit of lox. And that's really good. Um, Arctic char is like my mm-hmm. favorite fish hands down ever. Um, 
but I would have to say that like, I think the Icelandic like um, sort of confectionaries is pretty, mm-hmm. pretty on point. You know, like I'm a big, like, I love like the black licorice covered ice cream cone. Oh, then you're um, like practically Icelandic at this point. Then. <laughs> I love, I love the, um, I love being able to go into like any gas station in a blizzard in the middle of nowhere and get like some gummy candy or something. Mm-hmm. So there's, it's, it's like those stupid little things that kind of make you feel in some way like you miss that place yeah and and yeah it's 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 kind of funny but i i guess that's what makes you like remember it you know absolutely absolutely i mean it's also i think candy i don't think about i know is a big part of the culture here and totally baked goods and things like that so that definitely fits into yeah there's something about that contrast like of like it's cold it's harsh outside like you're going to be in those elements and you want something that kind of like I don't know, warms you up or makes mm-hmm. you a little happy. And, you know, you, you know, wintertime, you know, this season is so cool because they have like the special drinks, like for, for holiday only. Mm-hmm. I think that they, 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 yeah, yeah <laughs> so it's so good. It's like so sugary, but it's so good. It's so um, sugary. I can't even yeah. drink it. It's too much. I, I know. It's like, I, I share it with a friend and I'm like, well, this is intense. Yeah. I, I have to ask, and I'm sure you've answered this on so many of your podcasts, but I, but what brought you there? Like what? Yeah. I would love to just know that. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. this is kind of like I'm turning the table. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's okay. So, so what brought you there? I'd love to know. Yeah. My husband is Icelandic and cool. we met yeah. many, many years ago when I was in college. We both were in college, but he was in college wow. in Iceland and I was in college in New York. And I made a friend cool. who was Icelandic in school who had friends visiting and Gunnar, mm-hmm. who's not my husband, was one of those people yeah. visiting. And just yeah. later on, seven years after meeting him is when we got together. Yeah. And then, cool. yeah, cool. I moved here in 2016. And do you, and do you love it? I love it. You I mean, miss, I have a podcast yeah. called All Things. I know, I love it. <laughs> if I, if I, I didn't, that. I would be really into, you know, masochism. Yeah. <laughs> I have yeah, to talk totally. about this all the time. I did not like this place. But I think it's, you know, well, it's different for everybody, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And do you have dual citizenship then? Is that is that what you're I able do to not do? yet. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's a process. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's something that you end up meaning like wanting to be here long term and things like that. You'll see. But there's a yeah. program now, which I just had a great interview not too long ago with the Minister of Justice, who had they put wow. forth a change in the bill where people okay. who make over $80,000 a year can come and live in Iceland for up to six months. And you already have an apartment. So this for you, wow. it's like if you want to bring your family, uh, you could live. And it's mainly just to allow people who are able to work remotely to be able to come mm-hmm. to Iceland, even though they're not paying into wow. the tax system and things like mm-hmm. that, just so that individuals can have obviously been able to, you know, done, done, do the, I'm almost saying like Sotkvi in my brain in Icelandic, but yeah. the quarantine. <laughs> um, yeah. So that afterwards you can just explore the country, you can enjoy, you can contribute to the Icelandic economy. So it's like a really interesting yeah. thing happening now in order to allow people to come to Iceland. And hopefully that opens yeah. doors for people outside of like, Schengen area and EU to be able right, to live right. here easily. Easily. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna email you about that as soon as yeah. the podcast is over because I I'm very intrigued about that. My dream, my dream, if if I'm gonna be honest, is to like come with my family for three months and be able to work there for yeah. a couple months out of the year just to share with them mm-hmm. a different culture and and be able to and I think that I could you know work remotely and work in that environment and. Um, so yeah, that's cool to see that you're going through that process. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm I'm in right now in the permanent residence process. My application's already Mm -hmm. been cool. And so anyway, but let's get back to you, Chris, because you are good at flipping it over. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, in terms of the country, though, because I'm going to talk about the amazing things you've done, like in terms of film and yeah. just physical feats here. But yeah. I'm sure other people are really curious to know what part of the country do you like the most? Do you have a, a place where you're just like, yeah, that really tugs um, my heartstrings? You know, it's it's it kind of changes and evolves like okay. as, as time goes on. You know, I remember I remember going there for like four or five years and and really exploring the south coast and exploring the interior. And I had never gone to the West Fjords and I went to the West Fjords and I was like, oh my gosh, this place is amazing. And I went there like four or five or six times. And then I kind of spent more time in the interior and then I spent more time in the east. I think if there's a place that that draws me in, the East Fjords are so special because mm-hmm. they're still very undiscovered. You yeah. know, people people love to complain about how, how over-touristed Iceland is, but the reality is just like, you know, the main city, you know, so much of the impact is in is in certain areas, you yes. know, the south coast or or, you know, Reykjavik or, or what have you, you know, in and around Lager. So I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, if you just are willing to drive like an extra hour, an extra two hours mm-hmm. and get out to these more remote areas, um, it it really makes a difference. I mean, it's so yeah. much more unique and, and you can have that really off the beaten path feeling. And to be honest, you know, in having worked like alongside the government, trying to understand the, the, uh, the effects of tourism, these are communities that would really benefit, mm-hmm. really value from having those extra, you know, tourism dollars come to them because, because just like everywhere else, you know, they're trying to figure out what does life look like after fishing or farming yes. or whatever it is, you know, they've converted a, a barn into an Airbnb and they're just kind of waiting for visitors. So it's a challenge to see how COVID has affected like the West and, yeah. and other places where like, you know, people are kind of canceling bookings, this and that. But I, I feel like for me, the dream scenario is always to figure out a way to kind of go somewhere that feels new and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's an, and or travel there in a unique way, which is kind of what led me to a lot of these sort of bike rides through the, throughout the country or exploration. Cause you know, this, the place is so special and I feel like in some way being able to experience it in a new mm-hmm. and interesting way has has helped me develop a greater appreciation for that environment, whether it's been from the air flying around, creating a project around that or riding my bike through or something like that. So I would, yeah, to kind of answer your question, like to me that the East Fjord is really special, like from basically like, you know, Eglistader to like hop, you know, like that Mm -hmm. whole stretch. Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of undiscovered. It still kind of feels empty and and unique. And I, I really love it. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm still really much in love with the West Fjords. I spent three weeks there last summer, like oh, learning Icelandic wow. too, which was wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was cool. fun. <laughs> but, yeah. but in terms of that, like, yeah, I agree with you. When we went to the East Fjords, I was like, wow, this is so. And say this fjord, which you probably went to, mm-hmm. which is like the artsy type of town yeah, in the fjord. It's yeah, really cool. It's just like what is this? Like randomly here, <laughs> it feels yeah. like it's randomly there. So that's great for you to hear that. And I think it's super important for, for people to hear someone like you, because a lot of influencers mm-hmm. or people who have great influence, which is yourself, yeah. they are normally just talking about the places that are the Instagrammable, you know, popular yeah. places. And people are missing out. They don't realize that the rest right. of the country is amazing or the interior of the country is amazing. And it, don't it just, truly is. yeah, don't just limit yourself 
to being in Reykjavik or traveling only from one spot, like, you know, going all around is... So I'm glad that you're saying that. You're, you're very much yeah. in tune with the Icelandic tourism board. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and I, and I think that, you know, I, I'll, I'll be totally honest. Like, I think that that mindset comes from having made those same mistakes and then mm. figuring it out for myself. And the truth of the matter is, is like, you know, as a traveler, you go somewhere and you're looking for low-hanging fruit. You know, yeah. you're looking for the thing that's easy to grab. And I've... I've made these same mistakes myself where I've gone on a trip with the expectation that if I don't see that waterfall and I don't see that thing and I don't get that photo and I don't get this, that it's unsuccessful. Yeah. And at a certain point you realize, well, I'm, I'm putting so much stress on my experience to be exactly like somebody else's mm. that I'm leaving no room for the unexpected. And it's the unexpected that makes the magic happen. That's yeah. where you, you, you meet somebody new and somebody takes you in and you stay at some random farm stay and you meet a family or you, you, you find out about some remote secret hot spring that is not on any maps or, right. you know what I mean? Like those are the experiences that are, that are, that you write books about. Those are the experiences yeah. you write stories about and, and that you're willing to share. And I think that in some way it's just so important to realize that like, it's not enough just to talk about driving down that dirt road, like with nostalgia, you actually mm -hmm. need to do it and you need to see what's there. And I was blown away. Like every time I've gone somewhere new, somewhere remote, somewhere that felt like it was not worth the effort, it's paid off. Yeah. You know? Interesting. So. Okay. That's good. I mean, as long as you, you, you of course go nah. in like a defender, which is like the right, <laughs> so, I think that's another thing too. If you're going to go down that dirt road, make sure it's right. one that you can do in the car you're in. Yeah. <laughs> But I want to get into right, and, and you know what yeah, I would—that's oh. a good point. Though I, I want to just really quick say what, yeah. one thing that's interesting is people sometimes think like you know, oh well, you know, you had this crazy wild experience, and I tell people I'm like that's the byproduct of like going there twenty times or whatever. Yeah. I didn't feel comfortable doing that the first trip, and as someone who lives there, like you, you've gotten more comfortable like going out mm -hmm. when it, the weather's harsh, or oh, yeah. or even like speaking the language. Like it takes. Um, a commitment to the place and a commitment to the people to kind of understand where you feel comfortable. And stuff yeah. Too. Yeah. Great point. So, Definitely. It's yeah, yeah. I learned how to dress for weather here that, you know, I'm from yeah. New York city and we get winter. It's not the same. You don't here in Iceland, no. the weather doesn't deter you from going outside in New York city. It's no. like, uh, it's drizzling. We're not leaving. <laughs> right? so it's, it's funny. It's life. funny too. Cause New York gets way colder. Too. Yeah. Like, actually, exactly. yeah, but, but Iceland just has the wind, you know, the yeah. wind is really the, the, it's the mm. unseen scariest, you know, thing about it. So. Yes. And longer winter. It's just the, you mm. know, fall is like this. And so is spring. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like lots yeah. of winter. Fall's like, bye-bye. Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Going. It's like, oh, the leaves, they're not even there anymore. So yeah. <laughs> in terms of under an Arctic sky, so mm. beautiful. And it's just, it was one of those movies where it's just like friendship and fun mm. and, you know, you and your friends who are yeah. surfers and Icelandic surfers meeting up and going to the West Fjords in the wintertime. Like that is right. beyond courageous, a little crazy <laughs> in, terms of, yeah. in terms of what you were searching for. But I think that like the adventure was so much fun to watch and I'll have a link Thanks. for people to check it out. Cool. And I just, I got so much joy when you guys were getting giddy seeing waves breaking yeah. and be like, yeah, that was like, <laughs> get out yeah. of the car. And so I'm just wondering about, you know, when you were exposed to the elements, it was really cold and up in the North, it gets way colder in the winter than it does in the South. Yeah. And the wind, like you mentioned, could just, is biting cold. So <laughs> when you had to get out of the car and change your mm -hmm. clothes into your, is it, um, what is it called? Yeah, a wetsuit. Yeah. Wetsuit. Yeah. Yeah. Wetsuit. Or, mm -hmm. Yeah. In order to 
go catch some waves and then undress again. <laughs> like, yeah. How are you coping with this extreme change? Because like, your adrenaline gets yeah. you to a certain point, but then you're like, yeah, it's cold. <laughs> well, you, know, you know what's interesting is, um, is there's so many things you mentioned that were awesome in there. I love that you touched on the fact that you know we when we made that film we really left a lot of the ambient audio like in there because those moments of like ecstatic joy where everybody's screaming and like we, we didn't want to just you know we, we wanted to leave that really raw like off the camera like that's what was happening and that's what we were feeling and it felt so cool and so real to have that moment captured mm-hmm. um where there's no way to really reenact that or replace it and right. and i think that the the film you know for all of its imperfections it is just a story about kind of friendship and and learning to accept failure and learning mm. to realize that like in the end it's these relationships that are the most important thing yeah. and learning to like rely on each other in situations that can be sometimes changed to be dire yeah um i felt like that film was such a um catalyst for kind of my growth as a person and although nowadays I don't think I would even try to tell a story like that because I'm more connected to telling deeper more meaningful stories Mm -hmm. or whatnot I feel like I'm so grateful that it happened and you know to answer your question the hardest part about that like changing from a wetsuit out of a wetsuit going honestly it's that moment where you're where you're in all your bundled up clothes, you know, and you take everything off and you, you have to put your wetsuit on. And usually, you know, in Iceland, it's not like we have like a big, huge camper van all the time. You know, yeah. you're, you're sometimes just outside the car on the side of the road or on the snow. Um, but when you're in the water, you're surprisingly warm because okay. the one thing that's interesting is that, it, you know, it's never going to be like below 40, like maybe 38, 39 in the water, but outside it'll be like, you know, you know, 15 degrees. Mm-hmm. So it's always warmer in the water and you actually stay pretty warm. Like you're, okay. you're toasty. Sometimes you're sweating. And, but the heart, the scariest thing is that when you get out, you know, you're all warm and you're like, I got to make it back to the car, get off all this wetsuit and then mm-hmm. dry off. So I don't have that wet skin, yeah. but it can, I mean, there's some like touch and go moments, like where you're like changing and you know, you're trying to get your hands warm and you're like, you know, got your hand by the heater of the car. And you can't, you can't even drive away because you can't like you can't to turn. In the car yeah. Like your, your tactile strength is gone. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of wild. It's, it's, it's definitely a learned skill and not something that I would like suggest anybody go do for their first time. But to be honest, there's some amazing like surf schools in Iceland and, and yeah. beginners go out there and they have like such a good time. Like it's, it blows mm-hmm. me away how, how user-friendly it can be like, and, yeah. and how fun it can be. Like Iceland's actually a great place to learn to surf. That's awesome. I've learned in San Diego, but I've never nice. actually tried it yeah. here yet. It's on my, my list of things. <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my, yeah, my good friend Ingo runs kind of like the biggest like surf school there called Arctic Surfers and he's mm-hmm. amazing and they, they do such cool things. Like they take people supping through like the ice lake and, nice. and, and I think their goal is just to like share how, you know, just like the mountains or ski there's this whole water environment in Iceland that you can explore safely mm-hmm. um, and just like learn to appreciate. It's really, it's so beautiful. I think that's the thing I love about Icelanders is their, their ability to like not fight the elements, but learn to work with them. Yeah, you know? absolutely. I agree. And it's something that they're willing to help other people learn too. And that's what I've been appreciative of is being, totally. is I've learned so much about nature myself and, mm-hmm. and also yeah. just the appreciation, like you mentioned, it's awesome. 
So, okay. Uh, in terms of the dangers, though, because the West Fjords often gets a lot of snow in the winter, as yeah. you experienced, and yeah. we're driving and trucks were just like running, like they, they were just going by you so fast. Was there ever a time, whether it, it was in the storm that you showcase in the film or mm-hmm. some other time, maybe even out when you're surfing and maybe there's rocks or something there, and you're just like, I could legitimately die right now. Yeah, like this is, like, yeah. this is kind of yeah, a scary moment. Yeah, It's kind of one of those things where I think you only reflect on the severity of a situation after it's over. Okay. I, 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 at least for me, like in the moment when everything's happening, your, your, your blood is like, you know, it's boiling kind of, you yeah. know, your, your, your emotions are on a high alert and you're oftentimes kind of in this state of reactivity where you're excited and so much is happening and you're just, you're just trying to respond. And as a photographer or as a director or whatever, you're often kind of like trying to manage all these things. And safety is definitely one of those like top priorities and things you mm-hmm. think about, but yeah, you never, you never really like allow that fear to like inter- to, to interact until it's over. Like sometimes you're like, Whoa, why did we do that drive? That was so scary. Like yeah. we should have waited. We should have stopped, you know um, you know, we shouldn't have driven through the night. Like, and I think that the goal of that film was to kind of capture sort of the, the, the everyday kind of chaos of what it's like to be in Iceland in the winter, which yeah. it can be super chaotic. Like there are, there are times that for, for Icelanders might be casual, but for us, it was like, they have a semi truck driving by you and, <laughs> and it creates a whiteout and you're yeah. like, you know, you're white knuckling the wheel. And, and we didn't want to like over dramatize that, but it's a very real thing. And I think for many Westerners, you know, coming mm-hmm. and watching something like this, it gives you an appreciation for the lives that these people live. And like, it get, makes you realize things like, oh, well, you know, maybe them getting stuck in this village for, you know, a couple weeks on end or months is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. So my hope is that people get like a sense of reality from, yeah. or a reality check from watching these things that like, yeah, there are inherent risks, but those risks can be mitigated by experience, mm-hmm. by being with, you know, locals, which is why like, you know, I would never have made a trip or a film without the support of like an amazing group of locals who, who I, I know Ellie and Ingo mm-hmm. and Hadar without their knowledge and their experience, I would have been like terrified. So, um, I think, yeah, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that, but it's, it is scary. And I, and I think over the course of my career, I've had a number of experiences like that, you know, I've been, you know, tossed in a, a Russian jail cell at one point and other things like that and just <laughs> had some like really scary experiences in the water and, you know, in wow. blizzards. But I, I would yeah. say that, Again, in that moment, like you never, the fear never really sets in, at least for me until okay. usually afterwards, when you, when you really have time to digest it and you're like, why did I do that? I was so <laughs> immature or silly or like, oh, I put myself and my family at risk or, yeah. you know. Oh, I'm so. glad you made it out of the Russian jail. That sounds scarier yeah, than all yeah, of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And in regards to that film, I mean, I think anyone who watches it, at least for me, my favorite part was when you captured the surfer under the Northern Lights. And there's yeah. like light, I guess you were using some type of, uh, you know, light projector. Flashlight. Like flashlight, yeah. yeah. Was it just a flashlight? I mean, I thought it was like some it was, boom light. It was or like a huge, like 50,000 watt like, oh, okay. flashlight. It only lasted for like 30 minutes and then it burned out. Oh, wow. But it was, it was sweet. I mean, it was, the, the what we realized was like when we were filming, there wasn't much contrast mm-hmm. on the back of the wave. Sorry. Yawning. Um, there wasn't much contrast in the back of the wave. So we, we needed to illuminate that somehow to like create 
a bit of contrast. And so we, I had somebody like run up the beach and kind of like aim. And also it, you know, the, the technology, the camera technology was so advanced that it was seeing things that our own eye couldn't see. Mm. And so in the footage, it was brighter because, you know, we had, I, we were shooting like ISO, like 25,000, which is yeah. basically like impossible. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but we couldn't like, we, we didn't know when people were, were, were actually riding waves. So the light helped us find them yeah. and kind of put a spotlight on them. And then we would like, we would basically film after that. It was really cool. It was yeah, it was. Rough. And it actually made the water and the surfing of the water look just as majestic as the Northern Lights. Like it has its own, yeah. you know, yeah. like it was just like really beautiful to have all together. And I was like, oh, wow, this is spot on. Good job. Yeah. It kind of so, had this like beautiful dance of like yeah, backlight, exactly. you know, in there. It was really exactly. special. So my question is, was that your ultimate goal was to get a shot like this, like meaning for this project, or was that just like an added bonus in, of the trip and having the Northern Lights? Um, you know, as the film kind of portrayed, it was funny because we didn't go there with that intention at all. Mm. We went there. We went there with the intention of kind of finding and exploring new waves up in the Hornstrander Nature Reserve, uh, you know, the national park, mm-hmm. and, and just looking and seeing what's there, but. But kind of we got shut down because of bad weather, obviously, and, and that kind of, you know, changed everything. And, and we were sort of looking for backup options. And then all of a sudden it was like this storm came and we were forced out of there. We, we had to leave Isafjord because it was just too dangerous. And, and we knew that if, you know, we were to stay a moments later, we would have got stuck there. Yeah. But instead, we almost got caught in an avalanche on the road. It was yeah. terrifying, right? And so – that was kind of the point where we had to like make a decision. We, we, we stopped and I think it was Blundos or something like that. Mm-hmm. These little cabins. And we were kind of like, is the trip over? I don't know. You know, it was supposedly the biggest storm in 25 years. Yeah. And at that point we kind of just had to make a call. Like, what do we want to do? What is, is this worth it? Is it worth staying here? And we ended up um, going surfing up near the troll peninsula. And, and that was, you know, after the storm cleared and everything left, there were still great waves and it was that moment where basically like, you know, we're sitting there on the beach, you know, it's, you know, 5 p.m. It's getting, it's, you know, pitch black at that point. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden the Northern lights are out and there's waves. And we were like, what if we could do this? Like it, it kind of like the, tr- the focus of the trip evolved from being about one thing yeah. to being about something else completely. And, and I think it, it just goes like the whole kind of lesson there is it goes to show like if you submit yourself to nature and realize like you're not the one in charge. Like it can sometimes reward you with really beautiful things. And I feel like that's been a theme in my life and that's happened more than once. Um, so it was cool to document it. It was really cool. And for all of those people out there who are really into photography and cinematography, what type of equipment did you use that could stand up to this type of weather? Yeah. So, um, we shot the trip on a number of cameras and a number of lenses, but the real hero for the trip, like the thing that made it possible to film that dark was, yeah. was the Sony a seven S two, which, okay. which the S stands for sensitivity. So, um, they've actually since replaced it with an even more light sensitive camera. But at the time that was like the most light sensitive camera in the world. And what I mean by that is like, you could shoot crazy high ISO, which allows you to basically shoot in almost pure darkness. So wow. you could film under the full moon, you know, and at this point we were, we had a full moon out, we had the Northern lights out, you know, we were filming, um, we were trying to, you know, capture as much as we could in these conditions. 
but you never really know how it's going to pan out. You know, yeah. like there were so many missed moments. Um, I still feel blown away that we got what we got and we were able to capture what we were able to capture because it, it felt, you know, the Northern lights, they feel fleeting. Mm-hmm. Now you take that, take that feeling and then you, you add in surf, which is by in and of itself, like the most fleeting thing you could ever do. You have to have the right swell, the right tide, the right wind. You have to have an athlete who's not only willing, but who's talented enough to yeah. surf at night. And so it, it honestly felt like a divine, a divine sort of integration of all of these elements coming together. It felt really special. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. Great. The Sony was the kind of the hero of that. Nice. That's great to know. I mean, I'm, I'm not a tech person this way, but, but still, I mean, I feel like for individuals who want to be able to get their own shots, this is super helpful. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward, of course, yeah. eventually upgrading my own equipment. <laughs> like maybe I'll ask you yeah. about that. Well, Iceland's dark, Iceland's dark so, so much of the time, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, six months of the year, it's, it's a, can be a fairly dark place. So it's cool to have a camera that can shoot in that low light, you know, capture that blue hour, capture the Northern lights yeah. and things like that. Great. So we're going to shift though to a line in the sand, which is another (laughs) film that you did, which is really recent. This is 2020, August, 2020. Yeah. And and it just kind of came out like about like two months ago too. So it was, um, yeah, it was a film that documented a a first ascent um, traverse from the the furthest uh, East fjords to the furthest Mm -hmm. West fjords, basically the furthest point you could drive to on both fjords. Um, And the goal of that trip was to, I mean, there's sort of like the the, the goal or the, the, that you see, which is like to, to do the traverse and to survive and, you know, to do it unsupported, which, which meant we didn't have people like taking our stuff. We did right. it under our own power. Really it heavy bikes. It's in t- yeah. yeah, super heavy bikes, like 85 pounds, because we had to have six days of food on, yeah. a, on us. Wow. But I think that the ultimate goal was really to, to showcase to people. Um, and I think that's the thing is like, you know, it's not about like, riding the South coast, you know, right. and like stopping at all the popular places. It was about going to places that people maybe had not seen mm-hmm. or not witnessed or not experienced. And the goal in my mind, and I hope the goal that translates is that I, I want people to realize the beauty that's there so that we can spread out some of this tourism yes. and also maybe in hopes realize that if you take on a human powered adventure, what a special gift that is, what an opportunity to do something like that under your own power and to experience it in a way that it doesn't, you know, burn more fossil fuels and whatnot. And, yeah. and of course I know the irony that like we, you know, we flew there and this and that, but I think that there's something to be said for showing people what's possible so they could go and potentially do it themselves. Absolutely. I agree. It's very sustainable, but also yeah. like you mentioned, like this part of the country is uninhabited and it's yeah, so, it's, it's, to be gorgeous. honest, it's like a desert. Yeah, it is. And it's, but it's like gorgeous yeah. and it's just vast and yeah. you're just tiny and yeah. Again, really open to the elements. I was so surprised at the weather. It seemed that the weather mm-hmm. for your trip was great for those days. Yeah, am I, am I misinterpreting that? Because we we got what we would call like the one in ten year weather window. Like yeah. it was, it, we went in in uh, August. I think it was like yeah. late August or, or early September. We tried to go like in the in the late fall or early fall kind of yeah. thing because we you know in the summer it can be like summer rains and fog and. And we wanted to go right before the first frost Mm -hmm. because we needed the rivers to be at their lowest level so we could Mm. cross them safely because they can get really dangerous. Yes. Um, And so with that, our intention really was to kind of 
experience this place, you know, and deal with whatever weather would come at us. We brought tents, we brought all the winter equipment, but we didn't end up needing most of it because we got a crazy beautiful weather window. I mean, we probably had two days of, of like rain, but it was just on and off rain. And then mm-hmm. we had, you know, a couple moments where like the winds picked up, the winds picked up and it got like a little, we got a little taste of Icelandic wind, but it wasn't anything yeah. like it gets, you know, I was expecting like 80 mile an hour headwinds, you know, mm-hmm. like pushing us off the bike. Um, so I, I felt so lucky. And I, I do think that a part of that was just the byproduct of, of having been there so many times and kind of really knowing. And again, we worked with like an amazing local crew of, of friends and people and guides to, to help us like make the right call. So, yeah. um, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, you're right. We, I'm stoked. Cause I was looking, I was like every day I was passing. So I was like, lucky. why is the weather so good? This is so bizarre. Yeah. Like, you're like, is this all one day? Like, yeah. how is it sunny? Again, what's, what's funny though, is like, you know, it was raining in Reykjavik. It was, it was raining mm-hmm. there. And then, and then where we were, which is, I didn't really realize this, you know, but like on the backside of a lot of those glaciers, like, you know, Vatnajökull and Hofsjökull, mm-hmm. it's, it's dry over yeah. there. You know, it's relatively dry because the weather comes and hits the front side of the glaciers and then it passes over. And those are almost in like a rain shadow. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never really quite understood that, you know, the, the locals, we would come across people sometimes and they would call this space, the big empty or mm-hmm. the big nothing yeah. because there's literally hundreds of miles of nothing. Like, yeah maybe a cabin, maybe you, we, there would be days and days where we would see nobody. And it was, it was really special. You know, mm-hmm. it was really unique to, to be in a place where you're kind of used to seeing like a tour, tour bus pull up, you know, even out in like the middle of nowhere, like Landmannalag or Thorsmork, you'll see, you know, a tour and to be out there and realize like there's so much of this country that's undiscovered. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, you know, nobody wants to hear this, but Iceland could really handle way way more tourism if it was spread out Mm. in a way that was more sustainable because the heavy impact that falls upon these very specific areas is just is can be detrimental and so my hope is that people can see the beauty that's out there and be like i want to go explore that area and and of course in doing so you have to learn more you have to be more prepared and i think that makes us more responsible travelers absolutely Yeah. yeah and i'm i've am fortunate to have gone on a nine day trekking tour in the highlands and so that's why i was like you know so if you don't want to bike you can definitely hike it and i thought you know going 151 kilometers in nine days was good and i was like 975 kilometers on a bike i mean even still that's it's intense it was crazy crazy. my you know we got i remember like just being so tired yeah and being it was funny because i've ridden I've, i've you know i rode around iceland a couple of years ago i did um I did the cyclothon race where mm. I, I rode solo uh, around the country, and that was really wow. fun. It was like 52 hours, and it was amazing, mind blowing. And um, but it was a different kind of like effort. Like that was like all about you know no sleep, just mm. going for it, like kind of masochistic in that way. But this trip was like we were getting good sleep, we were getting good rest, we weren't doing too many miles a day. It was like 80 miles a day, sometimes 50 miles a day. You know, right around like you know a hundred kilometers to basically like a hundred and you know, 60 kilometers, whatever. Mm-hmm. But we were just so tired. Like yeah. I'd wake up and you know, I'm not a coffee drinker, but there'd be days where I'd drink like two cups of coffee and just be yawning. Like, wow. because you, you felt like you were pushing weights every day, nonstop for like a week. Yeah. You know, your bike was so heavy and you were just like slow cadence. It was, 
it was pretty it was pretty crazy it was pretty wild yeah especially when you hit the heavy sand like the thicker sand and you're just like yeah you can't even cycle through it and you're <laughs> having to push 90 yeah, pounds and, and, you're, and you're going you're going really really fast to kind of get like a couple inches because mm-hmm. you have to keep this momentum and, and the sand just like sucks your energy yeah which is kind of a good a good liaison on or could kind of way to like liaison to my next adventure which i'm i'm fingers crossed i'm hoping we can do which i'm hoping to try and um fat bike through the interior this winter actually in about nice. two months so yeah okay in, great yeah in april I, i've been kind of planning an expedition with a, a couple people to try and ride from pretty much akadeti to Vik. okay um kind of the north to the south and um, following the, the Kyoler route, but, but actually making some diversions to kind of go more direct. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I'm, I'm scared. I've never done anything like that. Yeah. Winter is a very different thing. Um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'll see you in person for a follow-up. In, that would, uh, like <laughs> that would be awesome. And, and hopefully all yeah. went well, you know, but you know, it's all the adventure, no matter what happens. Right. Yeah. I guess that's the whole point. And, you, and I think, you and embody I think that. that's what I've realized. Like as long as you walk away with your life and e- even if you don't succeed, like what an even better story to tell, mm-hmm. you know, when you, what went wrong. I think that's as, as time has gone on and maturity has, has set in, I think I've realized that that can be as compelling as anything else. Like yeah. that sometimes, you know, nature fights back and you, you get beat down and those, you learn more from those experiences than from the other times. Would a, a fat bike so, not have been appropriate for your last cycle through? Cause I was, question. that's what I was, that's I literally, a, when I saw very, you in the sand, I was like, how come they're not using a fat bike, a fat tired bike, but maybe, you right. know, gear and everything else would have made it too heavy. I don't know. Well, so this is the, this is the answer to that. And, and it's all about optimizing for the whole, right? So, okay. When we think of like Iceland east to west, like you have, you know, hundreds of miles, hundreds and hundreds of miles of gravel road, mm. you know, and then you have maybe a couple hundred miles of pavement, you know, in the west fjords and a little bit between like Eglistadr and the, the dam yeah. we went to. And then and then huge sections of just like dirt and rock. And so our, our section of heavy sand was only about – it was only about – 20 miles or so okay which which took us which which took us a long time yeah. it was a very <laughs> it was slow like, day it was actually our slowest day we went okay. about i think we went like 30 miles total wow. and it took us all day long oh so i think the goal was like those were slow miles mm-hmm. and being on a fat bike would have made them way faster but being on a fat mi- bike would have made us way slower for everything else yeah okay and yeah there were times where we were like you know, we didn't have big enough tires. We didn't have enough suspension. Um, but it made it really nice for when like the bikes got lighter and you ate all the food and, and then, you know, you're yeah. on the road. <laughs> it's in the like, West oh, there was 20 pounds. Um, and that was the hard <laughs> thing is like from the moment we left Eglistadr to the moment we reached, um, I can't remember the name, but it was like right where the highway one kind of like meets the West Fjords exit. That was okay. the, that we had no, no food, no supplies. So it was wow. like, it, we had one like gas station town the first day and then one gas station town like the sixth day or the seventh okay. day. And then we had food after that because you're in the West, you know, and there's like towns and stuff. But it was brutal. I mean, it was uh, it was a good eye opening experience. And, I, and again, Iceland just provided an amazing learning opportunity and a growth opportunity within those experiences and those challenges, too. Great. Yeah. When I saw that you got to Lauterbjörg, you said this was the best trip of your life. 
And I was like, whoa, that is yeah. intense, right? So I'm just wondering what part of it, I mean, you, I already can tell you really enjoy challenging yourself, but <laughs> what part of it was well, your like absolute yeah. favorite? I think that, you know, and I want to be careful here because I don't, I don't think there's any need to prove yourself in, in a way that feels masochistic or mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean, to me, cycling, like surfing, like anything, it's a, it's a meditation, you know, it's a, mm. it's, you're, you're giving up some of your own ego, some of your own pride, some of your own control yeah. and realizing that you're kind of in the hands of something greater. And that's kind of the beauty is like when you're riding your bike, you're exposed to the elements. And if anybody knows anything about Iceland, it's like it's damn convenient when you can jump into a car or jump into a cabin or jump into a tent. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were on your nine day trek, like it's gnarly when you're yeah. out there and all of a sudden it starts raining and you're like, all I can do is throw on this yeah. cap and throw on these <laughs> boots and throw on the shell and keep going. Like yeah. We have to make so, it to the next hut. That's where we're sleeping. <laughs> so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's that's all there is. And so I think yeah. in some way there's sort of a a subjective humility that you can you can bring to yourself when you're mm-hmm. in these environments and you can do what you love for many days on end, you know? And if what you love is surfing or what you love is riding your bike, like you you kind of learn something about yourself in those experiences. When all the ego and all the BS is sort of stripped away and all you have is this raw primal version of yourself. And it's just you kind of versus mother nature. You sort of, you sort of realize in that moment, just how insignificant you are. And that to me, that's a really special thing. And sometimes, sometimes it takes, um, a bit of like, you know, kicking against the pricks to make that happen. It takes a bit of like hardship to do that and to strip away those things. Definitely. And then on the other, other side of the coin, what was the most challenging for you in this trip? Um, I think the most challenging was, to be honest, was, um, you know, there was some scary moments, like really okay. scary moments. But, but again, like, it's so funny because you have fear, you have anxiety. It's much like life and anything, you know, about the unknown. Like we, we had this route planned out and the goal of the route was to stay as close as you could to all of the glaciers as humanly mm-hmm. possible, right? To stay as, as close as, um, and make the most pure route possible. Right. Okay. Um, that being said, that was like a really important part of the trip. And when we kind of, we came to this one section where there was a river crossing that we didn't know mm-hmm. if it was going to be too deep. We had scouted it the week before with a super Jeep with like, you know, 46 inch tires or whatever it was. And it couldn't cross cause it was too warm. Wow. And so we, we, we left one morning from a cabin knowing that like we either had to go for it or we had to like double back and, add like 120 kilometers onto the ride to get around this river crossing, which would have been like made us have an extra day, more food. It was a scary thing. So we got to that river crossing and we were all like heart pounding and we we threw some rocks in and we, we searched up and down the river for a spot and I waded in there like up to my waist. (laughs) You know, I felt some boulders moving and I was like, am I going to get sucked away? No, I'm good. Now I have to go back and I have to grab my 80 pound bike and lift it over my head so that I could cross this river safely. Right. And that was really real. Like it was a very like real moment. And the funny thing is that after that moment, that day was our favorite day because it was all about the unknown. We crossed a bunch more rivers, but we knew none of them were severe. And it was just like, it was such a beautiful experience. And you know, you asked earlier about like, was this the best trip of your life? Like 
in that moment, I've always told people like the best trip of my life is usually the very last trip I went on because it's so visceral and it's so real and you're right in that moment. And yeah, yeah it, at that time, it was the best trip of my life. And I would say that still it ranks up there with like the top five experiences of all time. I mean, I don't think I could ever give a greater gift back to a place that I love like Iceland than to like kind of subject myself to all of its moods in for a week at a time. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> were the puffins at Lautra Björk still there? Oh, I was so bummed they were they had just left yeah. actually. Which okay. Was a bummer. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to hear that. Next time. I mean obviously it's just you just have to come back. <laughs> Always a reason to go back. Always a reason to go back. Exactly. That was my first time out there actually and it was so cool like yeah. the white sand beaches i was yes. like my, my mind was blown it's like people like no one expects that there's going to be white sand no. blue water in iceland like no. that it's just like wait where am oh. i am i in the caribbean but then you go outside and you realize no i'm definitely not let's just yeah. admire it from is, afar it is so cool like that's a very special part of the country yes i've, I've always spent my time in the west fjords more in the north like okay. hornstrander and isa fjord and kind of like those zones. but that that spot is just crazy yeah. really wild Agreed. It is so beautiful. And I hope people are writing this down. I mean, I will have, of course, the names of places in yeah. the description box, but I, I believe, like you're saying, there's so much more to see here and Truly. it will blow people's minds for sure. Yeah. And even even the section from like Askia Lake, or mm -hmm. I think I'm saying that oh, correctly, yeah. um, where the sandy stretch was, like if you can go and do a super Jeep tour there or hike it, or, like, yeah. that is phenomenal. Yeah. Like, I've never seen so much biodiversity or geological diversity. Yeah. Sorry, I mean it's the it's the location of the last volcanic eruption, and you're there's like beautiful sand, like almost sand dunes, and then yeah. just sharp pieces of lava rock yeah. everywhere. It, it felt like a scene from you know Game of Thrones or something yeah. like that. It was really appropriately cool. it probably so. was. So. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I just want to note, this is less of a question and kind of a statement of appreciation that Emily Batty was one of the mm -hmm. cyclists. She's a professional. Yeah. She's an Olympian. She is an amazing human being yeah. that inspires so many people. And I just think it's so great to see female cyclists doing feats oh, yeah. like this too. And it was just like the whole energy of the team. And I, and of course, like I mentioned, mm -hmm. I'll have a link to that video so people yeah. can check it out. Because I was just like, yes, we're just like showing different people doing these challenging things and having a mm -hmm. great time and everybody at the end just celebrating and enjoying Icelandic nature. And I think that's the totally. kind of stories, too, that just inspire young girls and young people from all different types of life to feel like, mm -hmm. yeah, I can do that. You know, or I, I can try. It's, or, <laughs> hopefully. it's such an important thing. I think I think that's kind of what I meant earlier by that idea that, you know, going back and if I made a film about Unearthed Sky, you know, I was at a different point in my life and younger and, you know, I had a small friend group. And, yeah. But since then, it's been really cool to go back to Iceland. I've been able to bring like Stephanie Gilmore, the, mm -hmm. the most winning, you know, professional surfer in the world um, and a number of other gals to go and surf here. And just making sure that like these experiences feel inclusive, you know, and, and they feel broadened because I, I agree, like I want to paint a picture to every young girl, every person out there that these are trips that anybody could do if they put their mind to it and they're willing mm -hmm. to go. You know, none of these projects were like commercially funded by some, you know, billionaire hedge fund. They were like scrapped together with little bits and pieces and, and, you know, work here and work there. And I, um, the next trip that we're doing, we're, we're hoping to bring, um, uh, Rebecca Rush, who's like a world-class professional mountain biker and absolute nice. legend in the sport. And she, is somebody who, you know, is a Hall of Famer. So, like, again, like, I, I love the idea of 
making sure that those groups and that group dynamic feels has diversity included yeah. and just can paint a picture for young young athletes of all kinds. Exactly. So. There's so many different stories yeah. within literally one experience that a group is having. Totally. And I think that is, is really cool that you're mindful of that. I mean, everyone has to grow, yeah. right? And like being yeah. able to grow into that space of inclusivity, it's just, mm-hmm. it broadens it for everybody. And I think it's right. really cool. And it, and it takes time and it also takes, it takes a conscious effort, you know, like yeah. thinking about there's always an easier option. And I think being like, well, what is what is the easier option going to get me? Like just going, you know, on a trip with somebody who you've, you've spent time with a thousand times. Like I, I aim to go on trips with people or, or create films or experiences where I can learn something from them and and they can teach me in some way, I guess. Yeah. Great. So I just have a few more questions for you and two of them in particular are from my patrons so on the other things i send patreon community i allow them to submit questions for the guest and i kind of like shift through them and so the first one from cheryl uh she asks what photographers have influenced and inspired you great question i would say ragnar axelson who is Mm -hmm. very on topic since we are talking about iceland here rax um Rax is the, the very first time I came to Iceland, I saw his work and it immediately affected me deeply. His, wow. his work documenting the, the last cultures of, of sort of, of Greenland and the Faroes mm-hmm. and Iceland and, and even just like kind of the, I guess the cultures that are sort of fading away, you know, horse culture and this and that and, and just, you know, um, subsistence hunting. And it's, yeah. it's really beautiful. His way of capturing people is so special. Um, and Agreed. so that's been that's been a really cool person to follow and and somebody I've actually come to meet and that's what's so rad about Iceland is like everybody's just approachable you know I mm-hmm. I reached out to him I have one of his pieces of artwork hanging on my wall I have all of his books like he's a true friend and a, a real like hero of mine and I think a, a national treasure kind of also <laughs> that's um, awesome so and agreed you know that yeah that's somebody I really look up to great okay and Liz asks. Were there any days where you were sure the day was a bust and then you got an amazing shot? And if there were more than one, which stands out to you? Because I'm sure there's probably more there, than one. Yeah. There, you know, there has actually been more than one. And that's, that's a good question. There was one of my most, I, you know, I would say iconic images um, is, is in Norway. And it's, it's this big, beautiful mountain in Unstad, big granite mountain. And there's a surfer doing an air and, right around the mountain, the sun just kind of popped through and he's like silhouetted in this golden light. But that was like the first day we had seen any inkling of sunshine on like an 18 day trip in Norway. Wow. And the only reason we were out there is because I was like, I need to photograph the sun. Like I need to go out there and the no. conditions were terrible. <laughs> Windy, sloppy, wow. blah, blah, blah. But the, the, the point here is that the athlete, Dan Gadowskis, who I was with, he was willing to go out. Like he was willing to, to respect my vision because mm-hmm. if I'm saying, hey, it looks really pretty. I know the surf sucks, but this could be a really special moment. Yeah. And he went for it. And, and this is a time and a place where like if we were in California, he would have never gone out to surf. But he did. And we created this really magic photograph. And I think there's something to be said about working with willing subjects and people who kind of respect your vision and share that vision with you. And even if it was unsuccessful, knowing that you at least tried. Yeah. And that was a, that was one of those days where I was like, I'm not going to get anything, but I had to try. I had to 
kind of give an opportunity so to myself and I did and that was that was a that really came through. Yeah, nice. I'm glad you pushed through just to do it anyway. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay, last question. And this is one that I ask everybody. <laughs> on this comes in my interview. And I know, I mean, you, you've mentioned you've come here many times, you even have an apartment. So I feel like you've picked yeah. up some Icelandic. Right? So, oh my God. <laughs> Barely. What, yeah. What is your favorite, if, if at all, Icelandic word or phrase? Hmm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I'm so bummed because I have a free, favorite. Oh. Favorite phrase is, is yow yow. Yow yow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find yourself using that, like, you know, in, where you Yeah, because it's like, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. you know. It's, <laughs> it's like that, I always love it. I'm, I'm glad I remember that because that's kind of like that, it's it's just like the sort of, um, not slang, but it's like the, it's like local speak, you know, where it's mm-hmm. just like, yeah, okay, okay, you know. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other ones like that that are really funny that I, I think they kind of, epitomize like the culture which mm-hmm. is kind of like okay all right we'll, we'll you know we'll get it done or yeah. it's i don't know i i there's a lot of words and stuff phrases that i really like but awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm glad you remembered it too and you know but yeah. if you ever of course it always happens like we hang up and it's like oh but what about this one <laughs> you yeah. know it comes and floods into you but if you remember yeah. and want to send it through that's totally fine as well yeah and chris um, this- i hope oh. i get to i hope i get to meet you when i come out there i, I literally try to find excuses to get out there just to see everybody and have a, you know, have a trip every, every year. So yeah. if, um, if it does work out, hopefully we can meet in person and, um, you know, I'll, uh, we'll be able to share a licorice ice cream or something like that. Um, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool just to catch up and, and I appreciate you having me on so much. It means the world, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's my pleasure and thank you. And yes, I'd love to meet just to answer that. Just <laughs> So I don't leave you hanging being yeah. like, hmm, yeah. maybe. No, but yeah. obviously it was yeah. great. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about this guy. But, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. And it's it's been such a pleasure. And I really appreciate you sharing your insights. I mean, from your perspective and what you do and the types of adventures you go on, I think mm-hmm. highlighting, especially for Iceland, for people who are unaware or who've only been here and done like the most popular things, you're opening mm-hmm. up a whole new world for people. So I think that is something that I... is. I'm always happy to share and I'm yeah. very, very thankful that you are doing the work well, that you do and that. sharing your talents. Yeah. yeah. And I think that people are going to really look to you for a way to experience a culture deeper, you know, yeah. and more me- in a more meaningful way because, you know, sometimes you get off the plane and you've seen the advertisements and you're like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there. But the way in which you connect with a culture in a different way is by listening yeah. to podcasts and is by tuning into like, well, where is that, you know, I don't know, small organic farm where yeah. people are like willing to show you like that's, that's what's meaningful. And I'll just kind of end by saying this, like I've traveled all over the world and I, I don't really pride myself on the amount of stamps I have in my passport or different places. I'd rather go back to somewhere that's meaningful to me yeah. and try to have a deeper connection. And that's really why I've been to Iceland so many times. It's, it's those deep connections, the people, it's the food, it's the landscape, it's all those things. So thanks again. And have an awesome day. Thank you. And likewise. Oh, and I just want to say your alpacas are adorable. I love these yeah. pictures. <laughs> so I just have wish to I could get in. them over there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers.